will please remain standing for the reading of God's word from Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Galatians 2, 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It's God's word for God's people today. You may be seated, and let's pray once again and ask for God's help. So, Father, we come now asking that you would, by your Holy Spirit, feed us with the feast that is your word. We know that we do not live on bread alone, but by your very words. So, we come now humbly asking you to enlighten our eyes, to see the truth of your word, and to feed us on Christ by it, we pray, so that we might have life and glorify you in it, in all we say and do in these moments together. Amen. This past week, I came across an article uh, from a Christian news website giving reasons we need Christmas. Four or five reasons. I couldn't get to the end of it, so I don't really know how many they gave. But the first reason was we need each other. So Christmas is an opportunity to get together, and we'll find joy by getting our pajamas on, watching holiday movies, and making gingerbread houses with friends and family. The next reasons were... Uh, we can wear bright and sparkly clothes, and uh, it's also an excuse to be in a good mood, and so we should be nice to people around us. So you get the drift of this article and why I stopped reading. There was the obligatory, of course, we celebrate the birth of Jesus somewhere near the beginning of the article, but ironically and very sadly, Christ was never mentioned again in this Christmas article. And I think that shows how easily, even in Christian circles, Jesus can become a means to things, like a way to get something, and not really the something himself. He's just a way for us to finally find what we're looking for, that he's really not what we are looking for. And if uh, it's almost like we just need to get faith and salvation, get that stuff taken care of, and then we can get on to the real business of living. And so I wonder what these weeks in December have become for you or have been for you even this year. Are they an excuse to get together with friends or family? Are are these the days of the year where you tell yourself, I just got to cheer up. I got to spread some holiday cheer no matter how I feel. Or maybe, maybe you really are thankful for Jesus, but in all the hustle and bustle of these days, he's just pushed to the periphery. He gets... He gets shoved down the list of all the things and reasons that we have this season. And some respond to all this by not celebrating Christmas. And and there is Christian liberty in that choice. And if you or your family choose to go that route, I'm not here to persuade you to, to think otherwise, because there really is no arguing that much of our world treats Christmas uh, in such a way that it does have nothing to do with Jesus. And if you don't want to join in on that, I totally understand. But I do think that today's verse shows us a way to celebrate biblically the glory of the incarnation, no matter how you do it or how you choose to do it. Galatians 2.21 shows us why we need Christmas. And as we see the why, I do pray that we take these days each year and the appropriate ways you choose to do it to celebrate the Savior who was born to die. And I pray that in this verse, we'll find a fountain of joy so deep that you'll never have to tell yourself to get in a good mood again, no matter 
what time of year it is. So verse 21 gives us three reasons we need Christmas. Three reasons we need Christmas. We, we need grace, we need righteousness, and we need a Savior. Why do we need Christmas? We need grace, we need righteousness, and we need a Savior. So first, we need Christmas because we need grace. Uh, we need grace. We, d- we don't need to take a break. We don't need some time off of work to just chill. Uh, we don't need a season to figure out how to be nice to the people around us. We don't need an excuse to decorate, to make gingerbread houses, or to eat rolls of cookie dough. I mean, you can do all those things, and if you do it to the glory of God, go for it, right? I mean, we, but those aren't the reasons we need Christmas. We need Christmas because we need something so much more than all that. We need Christmas because we need grace. Look at verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. Paul here is defending himself against something the false teachers are saying about him. Remember, Paul wrote Galatians because after he first went there preaching the gospel and established this church, a group of false teachers arrived after he left to go preach the gospel and establish churches elsewhere, and they came preaching a different gospel that was really no gospel at all. And the false teachers are known as Judaizers because they taught that in addition to people uh, believing in Jesus, in addition to their faith in Jesus, to be saved, you had to add works of the law to that faith. So Judaizers. Paul then argues vehemently against this in his letter, especially here in chapter 2, when Peter withdraws from eating food that the Old Testament declared unclean, and he he withdrew not only from eating those foods, but eating with the people that the Old Testament declared unclean. And so Paul sees this going on, and he calls out Peter in front of everyone, saying, we know, he says, we know this, Peter, we know a person isn't justified by works, by any works at all, works of the law especially, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter's withdrawal from his brothers and sisters uh, in Christ declared he functionally believed a different gospel, no matter what he said he believed. So during the worship service, you know, they sang the songs and he said all the amens to the preaching of the gospel. Then he went to the luncheon and by his living declared a different gospel, that it is what you do that saves you. And so as we've seen in Galatians, we don't know everything Paul's opponents said about him in the gospel, but we can put the pieces together by how he argues throughout the letter, like here in verse 21. When Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, it seems that he's arguing against the Judaizers who had made a claim that Paul set aside God's grace. He had rejected God's grace when he pushed the law to the periphery, to the side. When he's then nullifying, set aside, rejecting God's grace. When he refused to say that people must follow the Old Testament ceremonial laws in order to be saved because God had graciously given the law. God's grace had already come in the law, and with Paul setting it aside, he's nullifying God's grace. And in one sense, uh, God's grace is seen in his giving of the law. In one sense, it was gracious of God to give Israel the law. The law reveals God's character and his will. The law shows the way people can be in relationship with God. 
The law says, do this and you'll have life. The problem's not with the law. The problem's with us. You can do the law. And if you break it, even at one point, you're guilty of it all. And that guilt demands death. The problem's not with the law. The problem is we're sinners and we fail to keep the law. We're lawbreakers. But that even shows another reason why the law is a grace. The law reveals to us our sin and our need for a savior. It reveals to us our need. So when Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, what he's saying is they're telling you I'm setting aside, I'm nullifying God's grace, but I'm not setting aside God's grace by saying salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. I'm setting aside my doing in order to be saved in Jesus. I am nullifying something, in other words, is what Paul's saying. They say I'm nullifying God's grace by no means. I'm nullifying me. (laughs) I can't do it. So I need to set aside my doing in order to be saved in Jesus. That's not nullifying God's grace. That's resting in it. That's not rejecting God's grace. It's receiving it. It's not setting aside God's grace. It's in full, absolute, complete, exhilarating joy, swimming in it. That I'm going to drink it all in. I'm not setting it aside. It's all I have. And so Christmas is the end of our striving to be what we could never be on our own. Christmas ends our labors of trying to earn God's favor. Each day of Advent is a day for us to remember that what we could not do, God graciously has done in Jesus Christ. This Jesus who was born in Bethlehem to a virgin by the Holy Spirit. And he was born not to negate the law or to set it aside, but to fulfill it in every point in the place of those who never could. And so the Judaizers argued Paul abandoned God's grace when he set aside the law in this way. But Paul responds that the argument isn't about whether or not we need God's grace. He's saying, I'm, they're, they're saying, I say we don't need grace. That's not what it at all. He says, it's not about whether we need God's grace or not, but whether, or but rather where that grace is going to be found. We need Christmas because the grace we need will never be found within us or within our world. It must come to us. That's why we lit the candle to Isaiah 9. We live in darkness And we need light to shine upon us. That light's not going to come within us and cast away the darkness. The darkness must be cast away when the light comes to us. I like how Tim Keller puts it. He says this in a sermon. Uh, Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. Christmas is about you never getting to glory on your own. It's about God coming to you. It's telling you that people, excuse me, it's telling you that the people who are saved are not those who have arisen through their own ability to be what God wants them to be. That means this room is not filled with people who through their own ability have got it all together. This room is full of people who could not do it and God had to do it for them. Salvation comes to those who admit how weak they are. That's what Christmas is about, admitting our need, admitting our weakness, admitting our helplessness. Christmas is about glorying in our need for grace. And that's one reason why I think for so many people, Christians included, 
We get lost in the hustle and bustle of these weeks. We get wrapped up in Christmas parties and gifts and things and peppermint mochas and gingerbread houses. And there's nothing inherently sinful with those things. Whatever we do, we're to do it for the glory of God with thanksgiving in our hearts. But how can we go about even those things with thanksgiving in our heart and not get lost in them? when we know that the greatest need we have and will ever have has already been taken care of and not by ourselves, that it is a gift. And so gratitude comes when in your weakness and your inability, you admit that unless God acted, you would never be rescued. That, that these days remind us of all the days in the year that you needed something that you could not do yourself. And we don't like to admit that we're needy and weak and helpless. We like to portray the opposite. We like to be the ones who help people. I mean, I might need a little bit of help, but not as much as those people. We like to admit that we don't need any help sometimes. And even in those moments when deep down we know the opposite is true, we're scared that someone might figure that out. Let me tell you something everyone already knows. And you're just faking it. And when you fake it, you nullify God's grace. And when you nullify God's grace, you don't get to swim in it. You don't get to rest in it. You don't get to know the joy of it. That's nullifying God's grace. When you act like you don't need it, and you aren't that weak, and you aren't that helpless. You might never say you must earn your way into God's favor. I don't know anyone in here who would. I don't know anyone who would agree with the statement to get into God's presence, a sinner must clean themselves up. Peter did that, though. Peter would never admit that. But then he walked out of the church service into lunch and nullified the grace of God. When we don't admit from the start our sinful weakness and our helplessness, we set aside God's grace for another way. We need Christmas because we need grace. And you can do that each day by reminding yourself of it. That you, no matter how good you are, or smart you are, or how much you have, or how well things are going, that you too are weak and needy. And when you do that, you remind yourself that you too need grace. And the birth of our Savior reminds us that the grace we need, this thing called grace, isn't actually a thing. It's a person. It's a person. Uh, listen to Sinclair Ferguson. He says this, There isn't a thing or a substance called grace. So when we say we need Christmas, and when we say we need, uh, when we say we need Christmas because we need grace, excuse me, we're saying we don't need a thing. We're saying we need a person. All there is is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, clothed, in the gospel is Jesus, as Calvin loved to put it. Grace is the grace of Jesus. If I can highlight the thought here, Ferguson goes on, there is no thing that Jesus takes from himself and then, as it were, hands it over to me. There is only Jesus himself. It's not a thing that was crucified to give us a thing that's called grace. It was the person of the Lord Jesus that was crucified in order that he might give himself to us which is exactly what we saw last week in verse 20, isn't it? 
that Jesus came to earth in love to give his very own self for us. And salvation only comes by faith, which unites us not to a thing, but to a person, Jesus. So in other words, Jesus is not like Amazon. You don't find something you need, put in an order, and some other person delivers it and drops it on your doorstep or wherever. And if you can get it before someone steals it, you can bring it into your house. That, that's not what's going on here. Jesus isn't a thing. Grace is a person. So Jesus didn't just come to earth to give us something. He could have just sent an angel to deliver. The angels sang about what? Not that Christ dropped something off for us, but that Christ was born, that, pe that peace came, that grace has arrived, that what we long for is here, and it's not a thing, it's a person. We need Christmas because we need grace, and that grace is Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, above all you hope and long for during these days, and amongst all the very good things you can have and enjoy, may the supreme hope and your supreme joy be Jesus. Because as the Christmas hymn says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus, not in things. Not even in the good things Jesus brings, but in Jesus. We need Christmas because we need the grace who is Jesus. And we need this, secondly, because we need righteousness. We need righteousness. We need grace, and we need righteousness. When you think about Christmas, when you hear that word, Christmas, what, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Now, of all the things that come to mind, is righteousness something that is tied to Christmas? Righteousness. We might think of a lot of things, but righteousness? Christmas is a yearly reminder of the overarching story of history, that everything and everyone was created by God and for his glory. Yet mankind rebelled against God. We refused to live for him, and we chose to live for ourselves. And so now we're condemned to uh, eternal death for our sin because we're unrighteous. We did not treat and honor God and obey him as we should have, as we were told. And now we're under God's curse and facing God's just judgment for our sin. But the good news of Christmas is that judgment isn't the last word we hear from God. Because from before the foundation of the world, God planned to save a people from their sin for the glory of his name and to do this through God the Son, Jesus Christ. So when you, you might say, amen, we know all that, heard that before. But did you realize that the plan from before the foundation of the world was for God to send grace, not God to send a treasure map? You know what I mean? You figure out where you're at in the map, and then you find the X that marks the spot, and then you go there. Maybe around some weird-looking mountains and some death traps and a few other things, and you know, don't get distracted by the oasis in the middle, but get to the X. When God planned from before the foundation of the world, the plan was not to send a map. It was to send his son. Because you could not do it. The plan was not to provide a way for sinners to work their way back to God. 
to work their way to the X. The plan was to freely give the treasure, the righteousness sinners needed to be declared not guilty, to not fall into all the death traps, to not end up in eternal death, but through faith alone in Christ alone to be declared not guilty, righteous. And that's the whole point of verse 16 in chapter 2, isn't it? The righteousness we need to be declared free from the penalty that we rightly deserve for our sin cannot be achieved through our works. It can't be. The righteousness we need only comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so we see then how our need for grace and our need for righteousness are tied together, don't we? The reason we need grace is because we need righteousness. But we'll never have the righteousness we need unless God graciously gives it to us. And then you realize what a predicament you're in. That everything you need, you can't do anything about unless God graciously and mercifully acts. So let me be clear here, friends. The righteousness we need is a gift that's given. It's something bestowed upon you. It is not a condition that earns it. Let me say that again. The righteousness you need is something that's bestowed upon you. It's a status given to you. It's not, it's not received from a condition that earns it. Let me, let me put it this way. I went to a restaurant uh, yesterday, and as I always do, I looked up the Yelp reviews before I walk in the door. Uh, they only had a few reviews, but all were positive. But there were many signs when I walked in the front door, even before I got my food, that I was in for some trouble. Maybe from the, you know, like the <laughs> stickiness that you're, okay? But I was like, man, the, the Yelpers, the Yelpers said this is the place, right? So in spite of their true condition, I went to the, I went to the counter and ordered. But I knew I was in for some trouble even when ordering when I saw the state of the kitchen. But yet, I was like, but the, but the stars, man, the stars. Five stars, 100% from all four of them. I should have known, but I didn't, right? In spite of their true condition, Yelp conferred a status upon this restaurant that they didn't deserve. Now, I don't know who those four or five reviewers were, maybe friends or family trying to support them. Maybe it was them themselves. I do not know. Either way, the true condition of that restaurant didn't match what had been declared about them. And that is just like sinful mankind when it comes to God's righteousness. In spite of our true condition, your sticky floors and your dirty food, in spite of your true condition before a holy God, God graciously bestows a status to sinners whose faith is in Jesus Christ of righteous, perfect, holy, mine. But that's where the illustration breaks down, so just forget about the restaurant, okay? Because unlike the restaurant, which truly was not like, even no matter what Yelp said, what their condition said it was, that was weird of me saying, but you know what I mean. Like, God's status truly makes us righteous. No matter what Yelp says about that restaurant, they can't change what is actually true about that restaurant. That's where the illustration breaks down. When God bestows righteousness upon you through faith in Jesus, it's yours. 
because faith so unites you to Jesus that's what's true of him is true of you. Full stop. What is his is yours. What's true of him is true of you. No matter your previous condition or your performance, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, your sins are completely forgiven. You are righteous. Your true status is now not guilty. And that's why we need Christmas. That doesn't mean we need trees or wreaths or, you know, decorations or lights or different things like that. But we do need Christmas. Because we very often forget these things. And a yearly reminder, a yearly reminder of these days of walking through the end of the year remind us that our true status, if we are in Jesus Christ, is not guilty. Which then turns our living, both in these days and the rest of the year, into something glorious. It changes everything. Because the righteousness we need cannot be achieved. It can only be given. It can only come from God graciously declaring us righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And when the great need you have, the greatest thing you need, is given to you, when what you need most and when you realize what you need most, you have no hope of giving unless it's getting, unless it's given. When it is finally given and it's yours, it changes everything. It changed everything for Paul. Listen to how he puts it in Philippians 3. He says this in verses 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything. All his life achievements, everything he's done, he says everything is loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And it's not even a loss because I count them as garbage, as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. I count everything as lost as long as I can be found in him. And what does that mean for Paul, being in Christ, being united to Christ? It's not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from the things we do. But now I have a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. It's this righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so we need Christmas because we need to be reminded that what we need most can never be achieved. That it depends on faith. That it's received by faith. And so we must join Paul, even in these days, maybe most uh, specifically in these days of Advent, and count everything as loss and garbage compared to gaining Christ and being found in him. And so, brothers and sisters, we need Christmas because we need that daily reminder that what we truly need could never be achieved, that we could never get it, that we could never work our way towards it, that we would never find the X on the map on our own. It's only then when we get to that humble point of our admitting our weakness and helplessness and sinfulness and need that we'll actually find the abiding joy of Christmas. The dawning of the age when what sinners need most has been freely given to us in Jesus Christ. That's the meaning of Christmas. That's why we need it. And when that's true of you, when that's true of you, when you can admit that need, You'll never be able to give the obligatory, of course Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Now, let's get on to the real business of living. Because the real business of living is only found when it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. 
And the life you now live each day, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And then that leads then to our last point. We need Christmas because thirdly, we need a Savior, a Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. We need grace and we need righteousness. And because of that, thirdly, we need a Savior. In other words, we need to be saved because we're unable to save ourselves. Our need of righteousness is met not by our doing, but by a Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why the second part of verse 21 says, for if righteousness were through the law. If righteousness were through the law. If you could gain the righteousness you need to be found not guilty on that last day before God for your sin, if you could find that and receive that through following the law, then you don't need grace and you don't need a Savior. You need to just do it. And you should probably start Yesterday, <laughs> you should probably start right now. Get out of here and start doing it. If you could gain it, then you could gain yourself. Then you could save yourself. You just need to buckle down and do it. And in many evangelical churches, you hear that. In many evangelical churches, you might hear that what you need to be saved is found in Jesus, but then the way to live after Jesus saves you is to keep yourself saved through your obedience, which Paul then picks up in a couple chapters here in Galatians. He says, you started, but, but now you're going to continue on the flesh? And that is so much of what we hear today. But whether you play a part in the start of your salvation or afterwards in keeping it, the emphasis is on you for the righteousness needed. But verse 21 says, that nullifies the grace of God. If you play any part, you're rejecting grace. It doesn't matter if for 10 billion things of your entire life, you, you rest on grace. If you're doing it for a few, you're rejecting grace. You're setting it aside. You're nullifying it. Because if you could do it, then you don't need grace. If you could save yourself, you don't need a savior. Or as verse 21 says, if what you need could be earned, then Christ died for no purpose. Christ died for no purpose. And that's a pretty shocking statement for people who live on the cross, isn't it? I mean, I don't, we don't have time this morning to go through those accounts. But think of those passion accounts at the ends of the Gospels. And what Jesus went through. To say that all that was for no purpose is pretty shocking. And that phrase there, no purpose, means needlessly. It was, there was no reason for it. It was worthless. If God's plan was to provide a way for sinners to earn their way back to God, then there's no reason for Christmas. And Jesus went to the cross needlessly worthlessly. It was a waste. He didn't have to do it. If you could do it, Jesus' death was superfluous. But that's contrary to Scripture, and not just here in Galatians 2. Think about those accounts. Like in Matthew 26, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember what he was doing? What was he praying for? 
that that cup would pass from him. Let's do this any other way. You know what the easiest way would have been? For you to do it. <laughs> because it was yours. But in that moment, when God didn't take the cup of his wrath from the hands of his only beloved son, but rather left the cup of his wrath against your sin, he left that cup in the hands of Jesus rather than giving it to you, that was the moment when our triune God confirmed that for sinners to be saved, God had to do it. That there was a purpose. That this was the only way. That rather than Christ dying needlessly, he died because there was the need. That sinners need a Savior, for they could never save themselves. They could only get what they deserved. You see the difference? Even if you paid for your sins, you wouldn't be saved from them. You'd You'd be damned to eternity in hell for them because that's what you deserve. If you, went to, if you went to the cross, so to speak, you would just be getting what you deserved. You wouldn't be saved from it. The only way for sinners to be saved was for a Savior to come. And so, brothers and sisters, what does that mean for Christmas, for these days of Advent? Well, every day is a reminder that you didn't get what you deserved. How different would your days be if each day you started with that? But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, and I didn't get what I deserved. How different would it be when you walked into all these things and the hustle and bustle of these days? Remembering that we need Christmas because we need a Savior. Do you know the depth of joy that is found when you say Jesus didn't die needlessly. It seems silly, doesn't it? Maybe just a couple words can change your entire outlook on everything. But that Christ died for a purpose, that he was born to die because sinners like me needed a Savior. And so... No matter how you might celebrate these days, do you live each day of this season with one eye on the manger and one eye on the cross? That as we walk through these days, we never forget why Jesus came into the world in the first place. Paul says it elsewhere in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What is it? That Christ Jesus came into the world. Jesus was born, that we have Christmas because he came to save sinners. We need Christmas because we need grace. And we need grace because we need righteousness. And we need Christmas because those needs of grace and righteousness are met in a Savior. And friend, I, I don't know you all or your stories or why you might have walked in here or you're listening this morning, but if your hope is in anything other than Jesus, these days might give you some new distractions. That's, that's what a lot of it is. That's why Starbucks changes the designs of their cup. 
Do you know how excited people get about those cups? And if you're one of those people, I'm not trying to bash you. It is nice. But it's just a distraction. What happens when, you know, peppermint runs out? Just like pumpkin spice ran out. And now you're back to your, just your regular old latte in January. Or let's not just, you mean, I'll be anything, right? What happens when Rochester takes their lights down? You know, what, what happens when the white snows of Christmas turn into that sludgy junk on the side of the road? And it's February and you're freezing and you're like, why am I living in Michigan? If your hope is in anything other than Jesus, these days and those things might give you some new distractions, but when it's all said and done, the longing you have will still be there. And you know, there's an, actually an answer to that, that feeling deep down of when, you know, your car is covered with junk and you're shoveling eight inches of snow and you're like, why am I living in Michigan? There's still an abiding joy even in those moments when you remember that you need grace and you need righteousness and they are met in a Savior. That, that kind of joy is never tied to your circumstances, no matter what they may be. And so turn to Jesus, friend, and you'll find him to be the end of all your longing. And brothers and sisters, if you find your joy waning as this year draws to a close, if you find the press of life and what you long for and what you see in Scripture and what you see in the world around you and how far apart they are and you long for the, for the days when the world sings, hallelujah, hallelujah, he reigns forever and ever and ever and you long for that and it hasn't come and your joy is waning as this year draws to a close. Remember that Christmas is really about grace and righteousness and the Savior who came because he loved you and gave himself for you so that you would finally have both now and forever what you truly need. Let's pray. Our Father, we come longing that these days would truly be about Jesus. That whatever and however we might walk through these days, they would not distract us from Him, but that we would take these things and the good gifts you have and exalt Christ more. That he would be the end of those things rather than a means to other things. That whatever we say and do, it would be used to the glory of our God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so I pray that you would give us the grace each day we need to remember that what we truly need and what we hope for and long for have been met in Jesus Christ. And that we, among all the peoples of the world, would have such a joy within us that when we do encounter those around us, they would ask about the hope that they see within us and that we would point them to the one in whom grace and righteousness and saving are found. So we ask that you would glorify yourself in us and through us these days of Advent for the glory of your name. Amen.